Hello everyone, my name is Neha and welcome to Dropping Your Armor, where we listen to stories from thinkers, doers and dreamers, all in the hope of unlocking our infinite human potential. In this episode, you'll hear the story of Asma Ahmed. She's a clinical psychologist based in Karachi, Pakistan, who is an active member of the Autism Spectrum Disorder Welfare Trust and runs her own private practice called Umar Psychological Consultancy. Asma works intensely with children and people with autism and their families. She's extremely passionate about creating inclusive environments at school, in the workplace, and in society. Her story is one of strength, perseverance, and hope. And this is the starting point of our conversation. Against this backdrop, we dive into the topic of neurodiversity and inclusion. What is neurodiversity, you ask? It's the idea that neurological differences like autism, ADHD, dyslexia, etc., are all a result of natural, normal human variation in the genome. They're not problems that need to be fixed or cured. They're simply variations of the human brain. But this doesn't mean that we assume that people with autism or ADHD don't need to be supported. And it also doesn't mean that we assume that neurological differences and behavioral differences are always problems. It just means that we must respect and include everyone who is different from us and support those who need help. To do this, we must challenge our assumptions about what's normal, what's necessary, and what's desirable for a person to live well. We can create more support structures, reduce stigma, and accommodate people to improve lives. But we can also expand our definition of an intelligent student, a valuable employee, and a meaningful life. Hi, Asma. Hi. Hey, so great to have you on Dropping Your Armor. Thank you so much for joining. Same here. Thank you so much for inviting me. And it's a pleasure to be part of it. Awesome. So, I mean, before we begin, I also wanted to give you the chance to introduce yourself to the listeners so that they could get to know you better. Do you want to take a couple of minutes to say something about yourself? Well, um, I am Asma Ahmed and I'm a consultant clinical psychologist currently working in Karachi, Pakistan. And uh, I've been working in Autism Spectrum Disorder Welfare Trust as a senior clinical psychologist. And on the other hand, I'm also running my private practice named as Omer Psychological Consultancy. And uh, otherwise, um, it's been like 14 plus years that I'm in the field. I think that is enough for my intro. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, we'll get to know you more and more deeply in the conversation. So there will be more space for that. But before we get into that, I also wanted to get a chance to just warm up a little bit with you and tune in by asking you a question that may or may not be connected to what we're talking about. But if you had to make mandatory for all schools to have one class or subject in their curriculum, what would that be? Well, I think this should be some class and it should be a social skills class. Uh, social skills class, why? Because I feel that uh, these days we all are too much into our mobile phones and screen time and too busy to interact with one another. So social skills class, which may include social skills group, that may uh, boost a lot of social interaction, social communication that is quite missing these days. One needs to know each other, the relationship. The, we can develop relationships this way because I think uh, we are too much into um, technology and the human interaction that is missing. So I think social skills class may be something that could be mandatory for schools. 
Yes, absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's funny because when I was thinking about this question, I, I had two answers. So w one was very much related to what you said. It was about, uh, in my mind, I, I framed it more like a, like a class on empathy. You know, just taking the time to really empathize with one another, really understand another human being um, from their point of view. And and I think it's it's just so important, right? We 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 have I, I studied psychology too, so I had classes in psychology and we studied all the theories and you know how to understand humans on a on a cognitive level from a behavioral point of view and so on. But I sometimes really lack that very human element of just talking to another person and really trying to understand their perspective. So yeah, for me too, that, that piece was very much connected. The other that I was thinking about was a bit unrelated, but I really felt that when I entered adulthood, that I really lacked knowledge about finances. Honestly, I just, I just didn't know how to go about it. Like, how do you invest and how do you have a bank account and what do you do with money? It's just, it's just something that I feel like we're thrown into as adults and we <laughs> are expected to manage that ourselves, but we're never really, or at least I never had any classes around that in school. So um, yeah, that was something that I was thinking about. Mm, that would have been interesting. <laughs> yes, we all need to know about the finances and stuff because later in life, you have to be into it. Exactly. Yeah. Good. All right. So then on that note, let's maybe start by learning a little bit about you. And I'm really curious to hear about your life story, about your early days, where you grew up and how you actually came to be the person you are today and how you came to do the things that you're doing today. Hmm. Well, uh, I was born in Lahore, Pakistan, and uh, I was born in Karachi, rather. Sorry. I was born in Karachi and I was only six months old when my father got transferred to Lahore and we shifted there. And then I spent whole of my life uh, in Lahore. But later when I got married, I got married in Karachi. And now currently I'm in Karachi. Early years, well, they are quite uh, blur and faded away because uh, I feel uh, it's it was not a regular kind of a childhood. Reason being that I was more connected to my brother. I had a brother. He was a special child with the cerebral palsy and he was two years older than me. And uh, it was more of he was everything for me. My friend, uh, I used to be with him all the time, sleeping with him, eating with him, going out with him, going for a drive with him, studying with him. Everything was with him. But if I talk about uh, asthma in childhood, though, I was a very shy girl. I was not into talking much to people, not interacting much and a very shy little girl. And later when I grew up and I um, went into university, at that time, I started develop interest in psychology, reason being that my mentor who actually taught us psychology and other subjects, she was excellent. She developed so much of interest. I had a lot of opportunities. I wanted to go in management or human resources at that time because when I did my master's, uh, at that time, there was a lot of uh, hype regarding human resources. It was something new in the field. Mm -hmm. So I really wanted to go for that. But somehow, because of my mentor, I opted psychology and I further did master's in psychology but uh, people say that I came in this field because of my brother and maybe that is there in my unconscious for sure that I wanted to do something 
for children who are differently abled and uh, I can serve for them. And later I did my specialization in clinical psychology from Punjab University. And uh, furthermore, I started working with children with autism one-on-one. And then I was working in SOS Children's Village where we find abandoned children over there. So I could see the emotional problems that they were going through and all that. And uh, later I started working in Autism Spectrum Disorder Welfare Trust and now also doing my private practice. So this is all about what I did from my childhood to adulthood until now. And now working in Karachi, it was quite different working in Lahore and in Karachi because uh, there is difference of uh, audience, the people around. So it varies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's so, um, I, I mean, of course, we had a chance to talk about this before too. And I really, I, I love your story and the connection that you had with your brother, but also your mentor. It seems like both of these people were a true source of inspiration for you uh, to do what you do right now. And how, how t- tell us a little bit about your relationship uh, with, with both of these individuals and how that culminated in you um, pursuing this field. Well, uh, my mentor, she was a lovely lady, a very knowledgeable, very highly trained lady. And she used to teach us many subjects in psychology. And uh, the way she, she used to teach us, the way she used to clear all the concepts, it was simply amazing. I uh, I used to be inspired by her that I need to be like her. I want to be uh, the way she is teaching us and the way she is taking up psychology and mental health concerns. I want to be the way she is. And uh, later, uh, if you talk about my brother, ah, very strong connection. Uh, I always used to study with my brother, be it in a lounge, be it in a car, be it in a park or even a restaurant. Because he used to love going for a drive. So it was a kind of a ritual every day. My father used to come home uh, at night and beat any hour of the day. He used to take him for a drive and he never enjoys without me. He never used to enjoy without me. So I have to accompany him. Uh, and at times we used to eat in car because uh, if he's not into the mood of eating, so we used to use that reinforcer of driving and we used to eat in car. And if I was going through my practical exams or some vivas or report making or even exams, I used to study in car. So I think uh, I, had, I used to have a very strong bond and it's still there. I feel that he's with me all the time. He's around me. And even I started the sober psychological consultancy because of him, because I think uh, if in any way I can provide support to these neurodiverse kids, why not? If I can be the one, I can provide the empowerment to the parents. I would love to do that because I know be, I can very much empathize that what we went through, my my parents, my mother, especially me, myself and my other siblings, we know very well what we went through. So I think uh, I can understand well and I can make them uh, more empowered and uh, train them and help them provide more support. Asma, I've told you this before, but, you know, each time I hear you speak, I, I just feel so inspired by, yeah, what you do and how much strength you have. And I, I think it's beautiful that, um, yeah, I just your brother must be really proud of you right now. So Asma, you mentioned neurodiversity um, when, when you were explaining what you do. And can you tell us a little bit more about neurodiversity and why it's important for us to talk about it? 
Well, neurodiversity is a concept, is a new concept that has been introduced, not that new, but it is new. Uh, previously, we used to say that uh, children who are, or people who are with autism or ADHD or learning difficulties, they are special needs children or special needs kids or special needs personals. But now there is this new concept of neurodiversity. Neurodiversity means, um, in simple language, we can say that they are just different from us. Like we all individual are, individuals are different from one another, the individual differences we have. So same goes for these differently able children. They think differently. They perceive things differently, just like us. It's just the uh, it's just that their brain wiring is different. And uh, if I can see a vase uh, as a whole, they can see a vase with the rim, with the body and the base. Maybe it's their way of perceiving it. Mm -hmm. And and why is it so important that we you know bring this discourse to um, to when we're talking about workplaces or education or society at large? Mm -hmm. Actually, this is important because um, we need to have more of inclusive environment and then acceptance. Problem was that previously they were not being uh, accepted at all. There was lack of awareness. Uh, people never used to understand them. They were not able to understand their concerns and deficits and problems. And they used to stigmatize them, label them, and they were not accommodating them or including them in the society. For that, I think the concept of neurodiversity is really important. And because of this concept, uh, Things are more accessible for these differently able people, and uh, they are. Uh, they have people have started including them. The inclusion concept is there now in schools, in workplaces, especially like if you talk about uh, mainstream schools, they are providing opportunities to these neurodiverse kids uh, to the level of 20% and 80% are so-called normal children, the neurotypical children. And uh, if you talk about the workplaces, there are many um, chains food chains like McDonald's, Hardee's, and many others who are providing opportunities to these neurodiverse people and accepting them with their differences. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it's so important what you're saying, right? That it's, it's, it's actually a paradigm shift in the way we are looking at people and we're, the way we're looking at um, uh, or the way we're reconsidering the medical model or the deficit model of um, psychological differences right i mean when i was studying psychology the dsm was something that we all needed to study and we needed to know how our different disorders categorized and all of the categorization focused on the deficits right and this medical model then places the disability within the person that it's a person it's a person's problem that they are disabled where I find it so interesting that when you look at it from a neurodiversity perspective and you look at it from a social model perspective, then you can see that people are different. It's a natural occurrence in, in the world, just like biodiversity, right? But it may be that some people, because of those differences, not everyone is enabled by their environment, right? So some people are actually disabled only by their environment, which places the disability in the environment, not so much in the person. And, and that, that for me was a very, it, it was a paradigm shifting uh, way of looking at neurodiversity, at looking at people in general, because that is the first step of even talking about inclusion, right? Where we accept that differences naturally occur and we should actually celebrate them and include people of different um, uh, backgrounds and variations rather than stigmatize and label them. How do we go about inclusion then? I mean, what, what is, 
how do how do you create a truly inclusive world from your perspective well um there can be different perspectives about it but uh, if you talk about kids who are going to school the t- children who are with different uh, different abilities and different uh, needs or neurodiverse kids they need to be accommodated in mainstream schools because uh, they are uh, neurodiverse kids they are not special children and they have got the right to go to normal mainstream school for that i think we need to develop some inclusive setups in inclusive mainstream schools how that can be done um usually what we see in our society generally it's more of uh, either segregation or integration hardly inclusion is there ideal kind of an inclusion for me an inclusion in a school means that you are not able to spot the difference if you are entering into a classroom like for example if you are if there are uh, some neurodiverse kids like maybe with a down syndrome or autism or adhd or learning difficulties and they are in a classroom sitting in a classroom they shouldn't be sitting with a resource teacher all the time they sh- they should be included in the class and resource teachers can stand at the back and they should be there for for the support if they have any kind of a tantrum or a meltdown or some behavioral problem so yes they should be uh, right there at the back when they need the support but otherwise the classroom teacher she should be taking care of these neurodiverse kids as well not only the resource teacher and if someone else another person is entering into the classroom they should not be able to spot the difference unless they can see the physical physical disability because usually when you talk about these neurodevelopmental disorders like autism adhd learning difficulties you cannot see them they are invisible invisible different abilities you cannot see them you cannot pinpoint it this child has got uh, autism or this child has got adhd but yes with down syndrome or some cerebral palsy issues or hearing impairments or cochlear implanted children yes you can see you can see their physical disability but uh, if you're entering into a room and you're not able to spot the difference i think that is the uh, classical kind of an inclusive setup the institutions that we've set up like schools like workplaces they have been or at least historically they've been set up to have a degree of standardization and compliance right and and all of that is shifting we are seeing um you know new kinds of schools being set up new kinds of workplaces where that compliance and standardization is not the main um main driver right but people are different inherently we've just some of us have just been able to comply with the existing design because we've been able to adapt but not all things are designed equally and not everything that is designed in the workplaces and in schools right now actually cater to the needs of every single human being so it's i i i love this discussion because it also challenges us to reframe the problem right the problem is not the person it's how can we design environments uh for more inclusion so that it can cater to more people's needs and and help them live their best lives so asma uh, talking about again still you know we talked about social inclusion and education but in in terms of policy and government support what kind of support do you think is really important from a governmental point of view and also um maybe even reflecting on the situation in your country in Pakistan or in South Asia in general what kind of government policies have helped create this inclusion on a societal level well i think laws are very important because if there are certain laws already developed these can facilitate many organizations and setups 
to uh, because if law is there they are compelled to do certain things so i think uh, legislation is very important uh, proper uh, categories for these neurodiverse children should be there because in most of the countries across world across the world uh, you can see many differences in one country there are uh, certain number of different abilities then another in another country uh, they are not they are categorizing these neurodevelopmental disorders under the category of mental retardation so i think legislation is of uh, crucial need we need to develop legislation and uh, there should be uh, proper categories in these disabilities and then um, proper rights should be there inclusion then furthermore there um, residential facilities respite homes or whatever all these things needs to be uh, added in the legislation a proper law should be there for these differently able people so that a job opportunities employment all these concerns need to be mentioned in the legislation and once they are there as as a law everybody in the society are compelled to do that and then uh, if you talk about uh, our uh, region we do have a proper law for that and if i uh, like i am in karachi we do have this sindh empowerment of persons with disability act 2018 it was passed in 2018 so we have very good categories we have this category of neurodevelopmental disorders in which we categorize autism adhd and learning difficulties and previously it was uh, according to the constitution it was mental retardation and we used to categorize all the disorders under the umbrella of mental retardation which was not actually right but now i'm really happy to uh, tell you guys that we have this in the empowerment of persons with disability act and we have proper categories we have physical disabilities category then we have neurodevelopmental disorders then we have another category of disabilities due to neurological conditions and then multiple disabilities so i think legislation is very important and then um, there is this one more thing right to education we usually put our these differently able children in special setups or special educational schools they have to write a right to education they need to go to mainstream schools as well so that they can socialize uh, we are not providing them opportunities we are not them we are not uh, providing them any accessibility if uh, we are trying to keep them in one on one therapeutic intervention how will they socialize how will they interact how will they develop the social communication for that or simple rules that waiting for your turn or sharing things these are all the concepts which we learn in our school or in our mainstream setups so i think this is really important right to education and then furthermore if we move towards adolescence and adulthood they need to have uh, employment or employment opportunities or vocational training that is also missing most of the time uh, vocational training institutes are very limited they need the skill building we need to prepare them for an independent life for how long they are going to live with their parents ultimately they need to have a skill in their hand so that they can earn their living and then furthermore employment opportunities hardly it's there because inclusion is uh, still now i think it's just something which is not uh, prevailing overall across the world in few countries it is yes it is very much there but uh, in other countries it is starting to develop its establishing its kind of an in the establishment phase but it's really good to know that people are understanding them they are uh, they are more aware of them and if i talk about pakistan so there is uh, an increase in the awareness about these neurodevelopmental conditions or other problems or mental health conditions and people have started accepting them and uh, i can um, happily and proudly say that there are few institutes who are providing them opportunity for uh, jobs and uh, employment 
concerns are being handled very effectively. And and speaking of employment, because of course, I, I mean, I, I work with a lot of my customers around their talent management practices and evolving their organizations. Um, and mm-hmm. I, I was reading this article on HBR about how integrating neurodiversity in, 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 into the workforce has actually been a competitive advantage for a lot of companies. So it's no longer about, you know, companies doing this to be nice to people or doing it as some sort of a outreach program, but it's actually a big competitive advantage for the companies that have successfully uh, created inclusion within the organization. I think there were examples from SAP, from uh, also read something about IBM and how they've they've looked past some of the more uh, some of the ways in which we define a good employee may not always be what we're looking for, right? Skills are come people come in very different shapes and sizes and sometimes their skills in an area make up for everything that they could be lacking in something as general as communication, right? So it's about changing the model that we have and not trying to put people through the same box and mold in the same interview process to see who comes out in the end, because that's, of course, not giving everyone an equal opportunity, but also designing, redesigning the way organizations do recruitment right now to be able to spot those skills and to spot that hidden talent in so many neurodiverse people. Um, and it, it's fascinating. I mean, for people who are interested, I would highly recommend looking at that article and we'll link it in the podcast notes um, in the description. But th- that was really inspiring for me to see how much work is going on. But of course, there's a big gap right now between what is desired, what what is the legislation or what is even you know the goal but uh, and, and what is actually happening. Most of the people who fall into the category of neuro minorities aren't actually employed or they're or they're underemployed so yeah i i see that as a as a huge opportunity for organizations to do something about so before we actually tune out asma i would want you to complete a sentence for us and it's when i drop my armor dot 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 hmm. when i drop my armor I think when I drop my armor, I'm genuine or I'm authentic or maybe I'm the real self. That's it. (laughs) Great. Thank you so much, Asma, for talking to me and being here and uh, sharing all of your thoughts with us here. Um, I wish you a wonderful evening and thank you. Thank you very much, Neha. It was a pleasure. 